Questions can be a good thing. One of the best questions I ever asked led me to marrying my beautiful bride. But we didn't just start there, right? First, I asked her, her father if I could marry her. And then many months before then, I actually had to ask her if we could even start dating, right? And I remember that night really well. We had just gone out and we got back to her, her family's home and we were standing there in uh, her driveway. And I remember standing there, this nervous 25-year-old guy looking at her and her gorgeous brown eyes and asking her if we could start dating. And she looked back at me and she had this big old smile on her face and she said, yes. And I was so excited. Here was this gorgeous basketball, college basketball player standing before me, agreeing to move from the, yeah, we're just friends to the, yeah, we're together phase. And I was, I was on cloud nine. And that lasted for about, oh, five seconds. <laughs> because then she says to me, actually, can I pray about it and let you know tomorrow? <laughs> Talk about knocking the wind out of my sails. And what was I going to say to her, right? Like tell her she couldn't pray about it. But it didn't stop me from pressing in and, and, and not trying to figure out some of her hesitancies. And she asked me something that really took me off guard. She says, what if it doesn't work out? So I stood there for a moment, and I thought, and I started building my defense. And I said to her, okay, okay, but what if? What if it doesn't work out? What if you go back to school, and, and she was involved in, in um, she, she was going into her junior year of college. And so what if you, you go back to school, you're doing your, your basketball, you're doing your studies, and you don't have time for a relationship. What if you go and this becomes a burden, not a blessing? And what if we start dating and you hate it, we break it off and you never talk to me again? What if it's the biggest mistake of your life? And I put this long, dramatic pause. I said, but what if it works? She will tell you that was a light bulb moment for her. Because see, Again, she was going to her third year of college. I was looking to maybe go to some police academy at the time, and she couldn't figure out in her mind how that this would all come together and work in our lives right now. And it's not that she hadn't been praying already. It was that it wasn't even just me. It was that should she be in a dating relationship at all? But that helped her just by asking that question back to her. And, 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 and that night, she still didn't give me an answer. <laughs> She still prayed about it, which I'm glad she did. And the next day, she gave me the yes that I was looking for and hoping for. Questions can be good. And fortunately, by God's kindness, I knew how to respond to Angie's questions that night. But, but that's not always the case, right? Sometimes you get asked a question you don't know the answer to or, or you don't even know how to answer. I remember one of those times this happened to me when, when two of my kids came to me. And they asked me the same question. But, but they didn't have any clue the other kid was asking me because they had asked separately. And when they asked me, I, I really struggled to find an answer. I did not know what to say to them. And, and here was the question. Dad, how do I really know if I'm a Christian? How do I really know if I'm saved? And you might say, well, well, you're a pastor, so you, you should know how to answer that question, right? And yes, at the time I was still a pastor. But also at the same time, after living my, uh, almost all my entire life without ever questioning my salvation, I was wrestling with the same questions for me. 
How do I really know I'm a Christian? How, how do I really know I'm saved? And by the way, you know pastors and elders are still flesh and blood, right? We still struggle with questions of the faith. But I wonder, have you ever been there? Have you ever wrestled with this question? Am I truly saved? Am I really a Christian? And I didn't ask you, have you ever prayed the sinner's prayer, or did you grow up in church? Nor did I ask, do you serve in the children's ministry, or are you a deacon, or even an elder, or pastor, or some of the church leader? I'm not interested in all that you've done for God, or that you've attended church every week. Or, or that you go to a Bible study every week, or how much you give faithfully to the church or any other cause, I'm asking this question. Are you a child of God? Are you in the faith? And if so, how do you know? What assurances are you looking to? We're going to explore this, these questions in today's passage from 2 Peter, where Peter's writing to a group of Christians who, whose local church, they've been infiltrated by uh, false teachers. And he warns them in chapter 2 that these false teachers were looking to pull the believers away who were unstable in their faith. So Peter starts this letter with, with a mini-sermon, if you will, teaching his readers to, to confirm their calling and election. And by calling, he doesn't mean a calling to like call to be a pastor or a missionary or to live here or live there. He's talking about salvation. He, he wants them to confirm their salvation. And so as we look at today's passage, I, I see that we can divide it up mainly into three sections. And, and my hope is as, as we explore these that we'll see they build on one another, leading to what I believe is the point of this passage. And that is we as Christians are to confirm our calling. And Peter kicks off this mini-series in, in, in what I believe is a very logical way of doing so. Because if you're going to try to help someone confirm their calling, then a great place to start is at the foundation. And it's in, in these first few verses that I believe Peter lays out the foundation of our faith. The foundation of our faith. Verses 3 and 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and great, very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. One of the things that we have a hard time keeping track of in our home are charging bricks. You know what that is, right? You plug into the wall, your cell phone, cable plugs in that, and you charge your, your cell phone or your tablet. We never can seem to find those. And I think there's a very logical reason why. If you think back many years ago, when you would buy a device, it would come not only with the cable, it would also come with the charging brick. But over the last few years, in an effort to save money, they no longer give the charging brick. They, they just give the bare essentials. Peter, it lets us know right off from the bat in the scripture that we are not given the bare essentials. We are given everything for life and godliness. Life being that, of course, that life that we have in Christ, both now and eternal. Godliness meaning holy living. So, so Peter's describing our faith here. He, he's saying that, that using these words that, that faith is not only something that we receive, it's something that we live out. Faith put into action. 
And he makes a bold and yet encouragement statement here when he says, we have been given everything as it pertains to life and godliness. And to make sure that we're clear here, when he says that we've been given everything, he means everything. There is nothing outside of the realm of everything. Therefore, we lack nothing when it comes to our faith because we have been given everything for our faith. We understand that, right? That's important for us to grasp because it helps us as we walk through the rest of the Scripture. And not only that, he tells us that how that we have gotten this everything, the source, where it came from, at the beginning of the verse, he says, his divine power. It's God's power. It's not ours. It's not my strength, your strength. It's not my merit, yours. But everything that we have comes through the power of God. The word that he uses here for power in the Greek is dynamis. It's where we get our word for dynamite. Except it's not the same kind of dynamite that we think of where there's this big explosion and then it slowly dissipates over time. It's more like our, our gasoline. And it keeps firing and it keeps going. It keeps going at full strength, right? It doesn't grow weary. It doesn't grow tired. It doesn't run out. And this is good news for us because, folks, we do grow tired, right? We grow weary. But God's power never does. It never fades. It never runs out. I really like the way Paul describes this power in Ephesians 1, 19 through 20. When he wants us to understand the immeasurable greatness of his, that's God's power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great power, his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. See, the the power that raised Christ from the dead, that that seated him in the heavenly places, is the same power that has raised us from the dead and has given us everything that we need for this life of faith and living it out. This is the power we have in Christ, in God. It's pretty humbling and amazing is it when you think about it. None of us saved ourselves, right? We don't have that power. And it's God who saves. But, but not only do we rely completely on him for salvation, we must also rely completely on him to give us everything we need to live out that salvation. It kind of cuts off the leg of any of our pride, right? I'm not saved by, I'm, I'm not only saved by Christ, but I can't even produce any good fruit apart from his power. But it's through him and his grace by the power of God, that we have everything we need as it pertains to life and godliness. And then Peter gives us two ways that, that help, that he shows us that we experience his power. And that's found in verse, the first one's found in verse 3. It says, His divine power has granted us all things that we need as it pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. The first thing Peter lists here is, is the knowledge of God. Every other week, my oldest son, Caden, he sits in the drum cage as he did this morning, and, and he drums for the, for the singing portion of our worship gathering. If I pointed him out to you, you'd probably say, oh, yeah, I've seen him before. I, I know who that is. But at that point, most of you only know something about him. He's one of our drummers. He's Pastor Jason's son. And this is what we often think of when we hear the word knowledge, to know about something. 
But Peter's talking about something much more here. He, he's talking about one, a knowledge that you, you know someone intimately. There's an ongoing relationship. Just like if you took time to, to get to know Caden and to find out what he likes and what he enjoys and, and, and so on and so on, you would move from knowing about him to knowing him. This is what Peter's talking about here. That, that one of the ways we know the power of God is through our relationship, the knowledge of God. One church leader said this. I really love this. He said, I want to know Christ so well on this earth that when, we get, when I get to heaven, I can say, yeah, I'm not surprised. I already knew that's who you are. I already knew that's what you were like. Church, may God help us to know Christ, our Savior, in this way. The first is the knowledge of God. The second thing that he lists is found in verse 4. He says, by which he has granted to us by his precious and very great promises. The second way we experience the power and all that we need is through the promises of God. Angie and I learned many years ago not to make promises to our children. Because we learned that when you're making plans in your home, it, it doesn't take much, right? A broken arm. Somebody comes down with a, a, uh, a bug or something. Uh, maybe it's, it's one of my migraines or something. But you never know when things are going to change because something unexpected. We don't make promises to our children because we don't know if we can make good on those promises, right? But not so with God. He, he always keeps his promises. He, he is the one true promise keeper, always. Paul tells us in Titus 1 that, that even before time began, that we have, been get, we have been promised the hope of eternal life. And Paul follows this up by saying, this is from God who never lies. In other words, this is from God who always keeps his promises. And the Bible is chock full of God's promises. Which leads me to this question. How, how do we know all the promises of God? And to that end, how do we grow in the knowledge of God or cultivating that relationship? Well, they both have the same answer, right? It's through the word of God. The Bible is how that God speaks to us. It's how he, he shows us who he is. It's, it's not where we only find his promises, but we also see that he keeps his promises as we, as we look at Old Testament prophecy fulfilled in the New Testament and through Christ. Folks, the Bible, it's essential to the Christian. And as followers of Christ, it's crucial that we, we be in the word, people of the word of God. And I hope you see a theme here, right? We've got the power of God, the knowledge of God, the promises of God, even the word of God. It all centers around who? Who's it centered around, guys? God. Who's it centered around? There you go, God. God is the true foundation of our faith. God is the true foundation of our faith. And if we're going to confirm our calling, we have to start here. This must be set in place. It's only from here that we begin to look at the second point, and that is this, the growing of our faith. We have the foundation of our faith, and now we have the growing of our faith. Verses 5 and 7, for this reason... Make every effort to supplement your faith with, with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness 
and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with, with love. Peter gives us a list here, one that he says we are to supplement our faith with. And by supplement, he doesn't mean add to. It's more like to, to furnish, but to furnish it lavishly, generously. Sort of like when you, you, you get a new home, right? And then you go out and buy all the things that you need and, and you want for this home. And you put it in it, but, but in this case, you do it lavishly. You do it really, really well. That's what Peter's calling us to do with our faith here. And as, as I look at this list that Peter gives, something really stands out to me. The things that he calls us to supplement our faith with are the things that were lived out perfectly in Jesus Christ. These things describe Christ beautifully. He, he is all these things. He has done all these things. So in essence, Peter is calling us to grow our faith by becoming more like Christ, by, by growing in, in Christ's likeness. Which makes sense to me, right? If, if we're going to follow someone, we want to become like them. Not only does, does Peter call us to do this, but, but God, th this is his desire for us. Romans 8.29 says this, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. That's Christ's likeness. Colossians 1.10, Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. It's, it's Christ's likeness. Likeness. And remember, we, we already have everything that we need to be growing like this. Peter tells us in verse 5 that we are to make every effort to grow like this. He, he's saying we're to give full energy to it. This is something of utmost importance. We are to make every effort to the growing our faith in Christ likeness. I was reading a book the other day on missions. And it's actually a really good book. Except he got to a part where he started talking about us growing in Christ. And he said, we are saved by grace. And therefore, the only way we grow by faith, grace, there's nothing that we do, in, in essence, what he's saying, for us to grow our faith. That we, we just get saved and then we just cruise on and God will take care of it. Which is contrary to not only what Peter's saying but what we read throughout Scripture. There's just a misunderstanding that, that any work done by the believer is bad, that it's wrong, but, but it really depends on the context, right? If you're looking to, to earn your salvation, then you got an issue. But if you're doing something because that you have received grace and salvation then you're responding to that grace that God has given us. One, one author put it correctly. He says, faith is not opposed to effort. Faith is opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. So again, if, you, if you've been saved by grace through faith, if you're a child of God and a follower of Christ, then we are to make every effort to grow in Christ's likeness. My wife really, really enjoys uh, gardening. Imagine with me for a moment, she, she goes out and buys seeds and she tills the land and she prepares the soil. And then she carefully places each seed in the ground and covers it, puts a little water on it. Then she walks away. And then a few days go by and I notice nothing's happening with the garden. I say, hey, 
you know, what's going on? I haven't seen you working on your garden. And she says to me, imagine she says, yeah, I'm going to go back in the fall and pick up the fruits and vegetables it produces. We all know that's not going to work, right? She's going to come back in the fall and be very, very disappointed. Why? Because growing a garden, it takes work. It takes diligence. She needs to water the plants. She, she needs to remove the weeds, the bad stuff, and give the plants the nutrients they need, the, the good stuff. She's got to protect the crop from bugs and rabbits and squirrels. A garden takes time. It takes work. But, but I tell you what, when you take a bite of a freshly picked, straight-off-the-vine, homegrown tomato, you know it's worth every bit of the work, right? The same with growing our faith. It takes time. It takes work. But, but when we experience the fruit that it brings and, and, and we realize it's worth every bit of the work. So then how do, we, how do we grow this faith? How do we grow in Christ's likeness? Well, Peter gives us seven, seven ways right there. And we're not going to go through all of those today. But, but another one we mentioned is the word of God. Which is, by the way, one of the primary sources that help us grow. The reading and studying God's word. But, but we also pray, Right? And we serve and we give. We even listen to podcasts or read books or sermons throughout the weeks. Through part of Peter's list, we'd see that he says that we rule over our sin, that we have brotherly affection for and love for one another. Which is actually quite encouraging. Because something I find very helpful is that we are not called to do this in isolation. This growing of our faith, it's not to be done independently of one another. If you remember Pastor David, as he, as he been going through 1 Timothy and he concluded that last week, he kept emphasizing, pointing out that we are family, right? A family in Christ. We are a community of believers. And we are to walk this faith of life together with other believers. A good example of that is right now, Right? We're here, we, we sing the praises of God, encouraging one another through the singing together. We, we confessed our sins together. A little later, later, we're going to take communion together. Even now, we're hearing the proclamation of God's word together. But it goes beyond Sunday morning, right? That's why we have connections group and men's and women's Bible studies the seniors' luncheon, the Juana's, youth, youth Bible study, and so on, so on. Because we are made to do this life of faith as a family together. Guys, one of the greatest tools we have in growing our faith is one another. This doesn't mean we, we never do anything alone, right? Of course, we study the Bible alone, but we study the Bible with other believers. There are times that we pray alone, but we pray with other believers. Believers, you get the point. This call to grow our faith is one that we both do individually and together as a family. It's not an either or. We do the work of growing in our faith in light of being part of a, a community. And Peter tells us his great benefit and reward in doing so. In verse 8, he says, If these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know any true believer who doesn't really desire to know God more and to live for him. And Peter's saying, you want that life? You want to know God more? You want to live for him? Then take the calling seriously to grow in your faith in Christ's likeness. There's so 
much sorrow we experience when we neglect spiritual growth, but there's such true joy when we tend to the garden of our faith. So let's encourage one another in this truth. Let's spur one another on to make every effort to grow in our faith. Because when we do, we get to experience what, what Peter has been building up to all along. And this is the assurance of our faith. The assurance of our faith. Peter says in verse 10, Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. I believe this is the climax of Peter's mini-sermon. This is his point. We are to confirm our calling. We are to confirm our salvation. It's the same thing that Paul calls us to in Philippians 2.12 when he writes that, that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. These are not suggestions from Peter and Paul. These are things that we are called to do. So much, Peter, so, much so that Peter says that we are to, to be all the more diligent to do so. This word he uses for diligent, it, it, it has these two, two elements about it. The first is there's a sense of urgency. This is something that we need to be doing right now. Confirming our faith right now, but also carries this connotation of, of something that we're going to do on an ongoing basis. Something that we do the rest of our lives. We, we are to confirm our calling both now and continually. He doesn't mean that we can never obtain full assurance. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying as Christians, we should be studying and earnestly giving ourselves to the confirming of our calling and assurance of our salvation. Let's stop just for a moment right here. Because if we don't clarify something, we're going to get off into some terrible theology and potentially scare some of us. So, so what do we mean when we say the assurance of salvation? This is important because sometimes this is confused with something else called eternal security. See, eternal security is the truth that those who are saved are securely saved in Christ forever. Those who are saved are securely saved in Christ forever. They will never lose their salvation. That The Holy Spirit seals them and nothing can separate them from God. God knows who are his and they are held in him securely forever. On the other hand, assurance of salvation, what Peter is calling us to is the believer's confidence that we have eternal life. This is the believer's confidence. It's very possible, and it happens all the time, that someone can be saved yet not have the confidence of that salvation. But, but praise God, our assurance and our confidence has no bearing on our eternal security. If we are saved, we are held securely in Christ forever. None of our doubts, our fears, or our uncertainty can take that away. Which is good for some of us, right? Because we start looking at every little bit of sin as, wait, am I really a Christian? So how do we have this assurance? How do we have this confidence? This is the things that we've looked at from verses 3 to 9. When we ask these questions, remember, questions are good. The first being, is your faith built on the foundation of Christ? Is, is he the source and the power for all you do in your faith? 
And the second being, are you making every effort to grow in your faith in Christ's likeness? When we evaluate our faith and we see these things to be true in our lives, then we can have the assurance of salvation that we're looking for and the blessings that accompany that assurance. And remember what I said about family, right? We don't do this in isolation. We do this together. And not only do this together, we have to give grace to ourselves and one another for this reason alone, that we are still human, right? We're still flesh. We don't have our glorified bodies yet. So, so we must give grace for emotions and illnesses and such because emotions, they are real, right? Meaning this, they are something that we feel, but they don't always tell us what is right and true, do they? We cannot let our emotions and our feelings guide us as we look at our salvation. In the same way illnesses can strangely impact us, right? When, when you're fighting chronic pain or something debilitating or whatever it is, it can take a toll on how you perceive reality is. My, my point is that there are days when you don't feel like a Christian, like you are saved. So, so stop and look and ask yourself, am I standing on the foundation of Christ? And over the course of time, am I growing in my faith? Think back to my kids. They did a great thing. They didn't try to wrestle with their faith on their own, did they? They came to Angie and me looking to see how they could know for sure that they were in Christ. And as their parents, we could affirm fruit that we truly saw in their lives, fruit that they themselves could not see at the moment. And in turn, we could help them evaluate the assurance of their salvation. This is part of what it means to be a family of God, helping each other honestly evaluate our faith and confirming our calling and salvation. Guys, this, this, this assurance of salvation, it is a big deal. Because when we walk in this assurance, we, we can enjoy the fullness of our relationship with Christ. There is peace and there's joy. There's gratitude to God. And, and we can live this life without fear, without doubting us our, our salvation. Instead, we can walk confidently in him. Peter in verse 10 says, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Let's think about for a moment who wrote this passage. This is Peter. Peter. Remember? He, he's the one when Christ was, was crucified, he denied even knowing Christ. Not once, not twice, but three times. Peter knew the misery of sin, his sin. But he also knew what it meant to be held securely in Christ and to have the assurance of salvation despite his sin. I can almost hear him say, listen, you're going to fail. You're going to sin. And when you do, don't despair or give up. Instead, repent. And then you keep moving forward in the confidence and assurance that you belong to Christ and that you are growing in his likeness. Jesus said of those who are held securely in him, who are growing in their faith and in Christ's likeness, that, that their joy be full. Can we imagine what it would be like if every true Christian lived 
and this way and this assurance. Standing firm on the foundation of our faith, growing in Christ's likeness, living in the confidence and assurance of our salvation. How, how it affect every area of our life. We would know that, that God is with us, that God truly is for us, and what he's called us to do, we can accomplish through his power, right? We would have no fear in, in sharing the gospel because we know through his power he will save those he's going to save, right? This is a big deal. Our assurance, walking confidently in Christ and truth in Christ, it's a big deal. There's joy and there's hope in it. And not only joy for this life, Peter says, I think Peter's just adding on to this here. He says, for in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's saying, look, when you're assured of your faith, you, you look forward, you're excited for the life to come. You long for the day with great anticipation, knowing with full confidence you will be with your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ forever and ever. Amen. What a glorious day that's going to be. We can have the assurance and the joy of our salvation when Christ is our foundation and we are growing in our faith. We have this assurance of salvation when Christ is our foundation. We are growing in our faith. Today, I believe that most of us fall into to one of four groups. The, the first is this. You know Christ is your foundation. And you are making every effort to grow in your faith. And, and you have the assurance of salvation. To you, I say, keep at it. Keep at it. When you find yourself drifting off course, remember, God has given you all that you need pertaining to life and godliness. Just alter your heading and get back at it again. Don't lose heart. Don't lose focus. Stay in community. Encourage one another to, to keep pursuing this call and this growing. Keep learning. Keep loving your Savior more and more. The second group is this, that, that you're a Christian and you have Christ as your foundation. You, you love him. You want to follow him. But... You don't live in the confidence and assurance of your salvation because you're not taking this call seriously to grow in your faith. This was my issue when my kids asked me about their faith. I couldn't answer them because I, at that moment, was not taking seriously this call to grow my faith. I come to you. I say to you, just as I had to do, heed what Peter has written for us in, these pass in this passage. And because of God's grace, remember, you already have everything you need in Christ. So, so get after it. Make every effort to grow in your faith. Starting today, don't let another moment pass without seeking to live the life that he has called you to. Come, enjoy the fullness of walking in Christ. The third group is this. You know that you are not growing in your faith. And, and truthfully, you have little to no interest in doing so. You, you are content right where you are. You got your ticket punched for the train to heaven, and that's good. I had a great love for you. I would say that you need to reevaluate your claim to be a Christian. Ask yourself, how can I be of Christ 
if I don't even care to grow in his likeness, if I don't desire him more or want to live for his glory. There are many, many people who've heard the gospel, maybe even prayed the sinner's prayer, which is not in the Bible, by the way. Perhaps they like the idea of fire insurance. After all, who really wants to go to hell, right? But the reality is that the gospel has had no actual impact on their life. What they want is the benefits of Christ, the blessings of Christ, but they don't actually care for Christ himself. If this is you, I plead with you, Humble yourself. Come to the mercy and grace of Christ. Go to the foundation and find eternal life in him. And then once you do, make every effort to grow in his likeness. And the final group, and I know there's, there's people outside of these four groups, but again, these are, the, these are the four main groups I see most of us fitting into. The final group is, is, is those who might say, I've been working so hard for such a long time. I'm doing everything I know to do for God, but I still feel so far for him. How can I truly know that I am saved? When is enough enough? To which I ask this question, is Christ truly your foundation? Or, or could it be you're trying to build on another foundation, one of your own doing, one of works? One author wrote this, for if you make your own faith, love, or good qualifications to be your first and principal foundation, and you build Christ on them, instead of building all on Christ, you invert the order of the gospel, and Christ will profit you nothing. Jesus gave a very firm warning about these people. Matthew 7, 22, 23, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I, Jesus speaking, will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, this is not to scare the Christian. What he's talking about, is it's a foundation issue. It's a heart issue. Christ was not their foundation. They inverted the order of the gospel and, and, and were working so hard to earn God's favor that in the end, they missed salvation altogether. If this is you, if you're working hard for your salvation, listen to me, stop. Go to the cross and see Christ dead for your sins. Repent, believe in him, and see him resurrected to bring you life. And by his power, bring into you all that you need for this life of faith, you may grow in him. So then I invite you, come to the cross and go and rest in him. In closing, church, let me encourage you with this. In the power of God, through everything that he has given you for this life and for godliness, confirm your calling by making every effort to grow in your faith in Christ's likeness so that you will be fruitful and effective in your relationship with Jesus Christ, and so that you will experience and live and the joy and the peace of the insurance of your salvation as we wait to be home with our God and our glorious Savior forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the words that you 
gave Peter through the Spirit to give to us. God, the, God the, when we look at this, really in essence, to take seriously our faith, that we would that we would not only stand on the foundation of Christ, but that we would grow in Christ's likeness, that we would we desire to be like our Savior. And Lord, I do pray. I pray for those who, who, who for so long have just been coasting or don't even know you, God, that today would be the day of salvation for them. And God, for those who do, but they even haven't been growing their faith, Lord, help them to confess that. And then in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, to, to make the change and to start seeking to live for you and your glory. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.